Well, hey, this is Joey Furjanic, lead pastor of The Block Church. I wanna thank you for joining us today. It's an honor to share this time together with you. We hope this message will touch, impact, and transform your life and help take us one step further on our journey to revive every block. Well, welcome again. Uh, my name is Joey. I'm the lead pastor right here, and we're honored you're with us. I want to welcome all of our locations, uh, those who are with us online, uh, grateful, every location. You know, we're one church in multiple locations from Port Richmond, Center City. We've got an Espanol location, Northwest, right here in the North Northeast, and uh, all kinds of things. And so anyway, uh, grateful to be a part of one church family uh, all through our city and region. We're in a series right now called This Is Your Sign. And we're studying the book of 2 Corinthians. And we're gonna be doing that all the way up to Easter. It's gonna be great, I believe, and I hope you were inspired last week. I think equally so, you're gonna be blessed this week uh, as we hear God's word. And I wanna illustrate uh, the message uh, today. I need a volunteer. So I don't know if they've chosen someone... Oh, wow. I want to preface this by saying my friend here, uh, he is a Dallas Cowboys fan. So you can... (laughs) But he's a good man. He's a good man. He says he has an excuse. He is, he is from Texas, so I will give him that excuse. Okay, okay. All right, that is excuse. Okay, so we've got some blocks. Why don't you dump those? Dump those blocks out. All right, I want to illustrate it. And uh, it's kind of like the Cowboys season. Lots of expectation, but just a mess on the ground. Here we go. Okay. All right. So... Uh, also jealous because you got wonderful hairs, but you're going to mess up your hair too. You're going to put that over your hair and your eyes, okay? So I'm going to blindfold you, okay? Uh, this is what Dak Prescott looks like throwing a football. Okay, here we go. Blindfold. I'm sorry. I should have. Okay, here we go. All right. Okay, here we go. All right. So um, I want you, um, with your current vision, uh, I want you to take a red block and I want you to stack a red block to a yellow block. Go ahead. Yeah, okay, okay. And an interception is currently underway. Okay, all right. Okay, all right, very good. And then I want you to take uh, that very same block, grab a blue block, grab a blue block, okay? Okay, great job. (laughs) Okay, stack, good job, okay. Grab a yellow block. Okay, okay. (laughs) Okay, very good. All right, stack it, stack it, stack it, stack it, stack it. Okay. All right, and grab a blue block. Okay, okay, good job. You finally figured it out. Okay, lastly, grab another red block, another red block. Okay, all right, all right, boo. Okay, all right. Okay, lift up your eyes, remove the veil off your eyes. Okay, all right, hair still looks good, unbelievable. So, Okay, didn't do very good, right? Like, like missed a few and not really. I mean, how could he? he he's blinded, right? Now, same thing. Okay, now simply take a yellow block, take a yellow block and stack it on a blue block. Okay, right. Pretty easy. Follow directions, take a green block. Okay, all right. Take very good, right? A little bit easier now that you can see. Would you agree? Okay, would you give it up for my friend? We love him anyway, Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. God bless you. Okay, all right. All right, so, no, you don't have to do a thing. Okay. So, I wanted to illustrate that because uh, there's, there's, there's really, 
There's three kinds of people, all right? There are people who don't know Christ, uh, who have a veil over their eyes, and even if they mean well and want to do good, there's a veil over them and, and they really cannot fully do all that God's asked them to do, even if they want to. Would you agree with that? There's also um, those people who uh, are maybe believers, um, and, but, but they have not experienced the fullness of their relationship with God. And they really probably mean well, want to do right, want to follow God's precepts, his voice, his word. But again, there is a veil over their eyes and parts of their life are limited. Therefore, they can't fully build what God's asked them to build. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And then there, there, there's other folks who are totally free, who have no veil, who are walking in victory that can more easily or more victoriously accomplish what God's asked them to accomplish. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And what I want to accomplish today through 2 Corinthians 2 and some of chapter 3 is I really want to help us experience a life without veils. And I want to preach a message today titled, This is Your Sign to Be Free. To Be Free. Look at somebody next to you and tell them, I'm walking out of here free today. Walking out of here free today. <clears throat> Amen. So um, I just want to make a caveat here, okay? Uh, in regards to particularly Paul's writings to the churches, okay? These things are not written to you, but they are written for you. Everybody understand that? So, so we're going to cross threshold of some, some, some cultural, contextual stuff that is like, whoa, what? And maybe not fully today as we go through it, but none of this stuff is written to you, but it is written for you, which means it's necessary for your life. And so I want to start on 2 Corinthians chapter 14. We did chapter one last week, 2 Corinthians chapter two, verse 14. Bible says, but thank God. Always a good thing to do. He has made us captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are like our, our, our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God, but this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved versus or and by those who are perishing. All right, let me point out a couple things here. I'm really gonna teach you today, okay? It's more of a teaching message. But Paul firstly says we are captives, now, the rest of what he is going to say here is not reflective of being a captive, but Paul uses this language of being a captive, or I'm a slave to Christ. I, I, I make my body, I put it into submission so that God could have full reign over me, that God, that Jesus can have me fully and completely. He uses that imagery, and he really believes that, man. I am like, my life is nothing. It's rubbish. It's trash doing it my way compared to knowing God. God, being used by God, and being obedient to God. So, so that, that appears here again. But what he really illuminates here is that we, in a sense, get to be a part of Christ's triumphant procession, and we're like a fragrance. Let's explore that. What Paul's doing is he's taking images from the ancient Roman world, and 
what he's showing us is kind of what happens when a Roman general would win a great battle or a great war. And in ancient Rome, there would be this parade, this victory procession that would kind of be like a Disney parade on steroids. It would be something like you just can't even imagine you're seeing with costumes and music and, and, just, and, and there would be fragrance, perfume and smells and uh, all this incredible stuff. And you would see the generals kind of walking in the procession and you would see the losers or those who were prisoners of war in chains walking through the procession and you would see the, the armies and you would see the first officers and people would watch and be in awe because here was the victorious group of people. And basically the way that Paul sees his life and sees Jesus is this exact picture. He sees as he goes about doing his ministry, planting churches and serving God's people and taking the message of Jesus around the world, he actually sees himself in Christ's procession throughout the world. Jesus being the great general of God's army and Paul being a first officer. Paul being a participant who plays a part in it. And I love this because I also see it this way. When I stand before you week after week, or when I see us in our neighborhoods or in our communities doing Surf Saturday, when I see us building playgrounds and funding initiatives in our city or planting churches around the world, when I see us doing ministry, I always see us the same way. I, I, I see Jesus moving about the city of Philadelphia and moving about our region victoriously. I really believe and see in my spirit revival in our streets, locations being started everywhere over the next several years, buildings coming our way, baptisms, breakthrough. Jesus's name being revered among our city and our region. An outpouring of the Holy Spirit where people who don't know Jesus are running to an altar saying, I need to give my life to the only way. I kind of see us in this procession and Paul sees himself similarly. And then he goes on to enumerate a fragrance. And he basically is, is connecting this that you would see and smell these wonderful fragrances in these triumphant processions. Now, I think he does this because Fragrance, a lot of times, is connected to memory, knowledge, and emotions. Like, for instance, if you smell something and it just takes you back to your elementary school all of a sudden, and you get a pit in your stomach because you think you got to go to school. You know what I'm talking about? Or like the smell, or like, man, you, you're playing catch and you just smell a, a, a glove and you're just like, mm, it just brings good feelings. Or, or like the, the, the winter smell that's coming, it almost feels or smells like, you, fragrance is powerful. And it's so powerful that it jogs memory, it incites knowledge, and it elicits emotion. Yeah. And so Paul uses fragrance to do that because he's basically saying we as believers are like a fragrance to the world and to God. I want my life, I want it to be an aroma 
that makes its way to heaven where God takes notice and goes, he's one of mine. This is the fragrance that he's referencing. And I do want to ask you a question. Do you have a fragrance on your life? Let me rephrase that. You have a fragrance on your life. What does it smell like? Uh, Because uh, some of us, we give off a fragrance of those who are captives rather than those who are victors. Is your life attractive to others? Is your relationship with God so vibrant that it's intriguing and inspiring? Is your love inviting to others? Is your home peaceful for others? Are your principles unwavering? Is your hope inspiring? What is the fragrance of your life? It's a good question to ask and Paul as illuminating it, and then he says in verse 16, to those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. That's so interesting. But to those who are being saved, and that might be people who are not yet saved, but they are open to it, they are called by God, they are predestined, those who are gonna come into the fold, uh, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? Want to stop there for a second. I'd love for you to look at me before I read verse 17. Paul says, who could possibly be adequate for such a task to be a fragrance to the world and to God? And I love that he's asking this because again, while it's not written to, it is written for, you have to consider Paul's whole life. A murderer, an angry person, somebody totally knowledgeable, but unqualified by the way he lived his life. Yet, somehow he's a part of this great procession and he gets qualified because what do we know? It's the age old adage that God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And that's exactly what it means for you and I. You may not be qualified, so to speak, but God yet makes you up for such a task. In Jesus Christ, you're new, you're transformed and qualified to be used by God to be a fragrance to God and to the world around you. Verse 17, you see, we are not like the, I love this. We are not like the many hucksters. Isn't that a great word? Have you said huckster this week? NLT, who preach for personal profit. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. Okay, so what's happening here? Well, the the scent of the incense in these parades is burnt and to the spectators who were Romans, to the victorious, great smell. When you're in the presence of God, friends, and you love the Lord, and you feel, when we're worshiping, you're just like, oh man, I, I sense the spirit of God. That is a great sense. We're in your prayer closet and you're praying, you sense God, man, it's a great sense. But, 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 but you have to understand that, that some folks who have a veil over their eyes, they might find themselves in your presence or in the presence of God 
right? And, and God goes with you where you go. And, and, but, but when we're gathered, when two or more are gathered in his name, something unique and sweet and special. And, you know, there's people that actually come into our gatherings where they sense and feel the presence of the Lord because the people of God are lifting him up. And there's a couple feelings like, hey, I'm uncomfortable right now. Also, something is happening and I'm not sure. And so all the time in our gatherings, non-believers find themselves crying, emotional. Other times find themselves angry and uncomfortable. There's been many times that I've preached the gospel, even in our gatherings, where I'm preaching the word of God and somebody has to get up because they think they have something urgent, but they are uncomfortable and they have to leave because there's a veil over their eyes. And so the scent, the fragrance of believers sometimes makes those with veils very uncomfortable. Now, I think it's really important for us to understand that we cannot be jerks if you're a Christian or idiots or hucksters to those who are not believers. We want to give no excuse for people to not know, receive, or experience God. So I want to be real clear about that. Don't give people any more reason to throw out the name of Jesus. But John 3, 16, we know it, very famous. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. Whoever believes in him, not perish, have eternal life. God not sent his son into the world, condemned the world, but the world through him might be saved. All these things, right? Beautiful. But then it also says, not a but, but in addition, it says that... Um, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever doesn't stands condemned already. And I think it's really important for us as we discuss veils and freedom to understand how we should interact with the world. So I wanna help those who call themselves Christians for a moment understand that a lot of believers in the hope of being accepted by non-believers will compromise on convictions will bend the Bible to accept what isn't acceptable or act a certain way in church and a different way elsewhere. And so can I help you for a second because you, if as a believer, you have a scent and a fragrance on you. Can I help you for a minute? This is how we must act, particularly in our world. Firstly, we must relentlessly love and pray for those who don't know Jesus while at the same time remaining uncompromising in our convictions and in our belief in the word of God. Do you hear me? We also, listen to me, we cannot be concerned with society, culture, friends, family, or employers who reject us and discriminate us against us on the account of our faith in Jesus Christ. The final word is God's. God is a God of justice. He fights our battles. Your response is to stand with and for Jesus. Lastly, we must must never bow to godlessness. We must stand out for Jesus always like a fragrance. The reality is, the reality is, friends, some people will hate you and you can't do anything about it. Uh, The reality is, is some people will not treat you right and you can't do anything about it. 
The reality is, is because of Jesus, because Jesus actually does draw some lines in the sand and he says, hey, you're really for me or you're against me. There's like, there's no in between. You gotta be all in on Jesus or all out on Jesus. And so because of that, because of that, some people may not like the scent of your fragrance. In those parades, there was a scent and those who were on the Roman team, they liked the smell and those who were prisoners of war, they didn't because it represented their future. Our fragrance can persuade people. Our love can persuade people. But even when we are loving at our best and when we are living at our best in Jesus, some people may choose not to be persuaded. There's a veil over their eyes and there's a solution we will get to. But I wanna go back to that word hucksters for a second. (laughs) In other translation, it says peddlers. And what the idea is, is of adulterating or watering down for gain of the gospel. But what Paul is taking this from was used by wine sellers who would water down the wine for bigger profits. In other words, they were cheating. They were being a thief. That's being a huckster. But again, many believers actually, in a sense, are peddlers and hucksters. I'm not calling you that. I'm just telling you what Paul's calling it because when we don't stand on our convictions and for the purity of the faith, what we are doing is we are watering down the truth and it's only the truth that sets people free. And so the reason that many people don't get free and the reason many people don't walk in victory, or the reason that some people don't actually come to Jesus as Savior is because we're being peddlers and watering down the truth. Live your life as a pure fragrance and let God do the saving and the freeing. Now, I want to I want to jump to, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to connect this here at the end, but I want to jump to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 now. I told you I'd jump around a little bit through our study. But Paul writes in verse 12, since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. Everybody say bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his faith so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil cannot be removed only by believing in Christ. Excuse me. And this veil can be be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, sorry. Yes, even today, when when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. In other words, Paul's like, hey, there was a glory associated with the giving of the law and the old covenant. There was a glory. At that time in Mount Sinai, when it was given, it was surrounded by smoke. I mean, there were earthquakes and thunder and lightning and a trumpet blast from heaven and the voice of God himself. And, And the glory of the Lord was so magnificent that for Moses to interact with the people, he was so bright in the presence of God, he had to cover his face with a veil. 
Yet the, the, the glory was momentary, it would fade. The old covenant or the law, while good, we know we could not possibly accomplish it on our own. We would actually live a miserable life trying to be perfect. And so the old covenant, while it had great glory, the new covenant comes with a greater glory because it never goes away. The old covenant was only for a select few. The new covenant is for any believer in Jesus to encounter his spirit and have this experience, meaning that God and his presence can live with you and stay with you and that fragrance can live inside of you and flow from you for life. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Paul could say this of his fellow Jews, that a veil was on their hearts. But he could also say that God takes veils away in Jesus' name. He knew this because at one point he had a veil on his life. Okay, remember, Paul is a violent, angry, vicious, knowledgeable person, but without a true heart of love and a misunderstanding of the Messiah and who Jesus was. He didn't believe in him. See, Paul was angry and a murderer until the veil was removed. In other words, friends, Jesus will soften people's hearts. He was zealous and misguided, but Jesus helps us have a biblical worldview and knowledge. He was closed-minded. Paul was closed-minded to miracles, but then Jesus will help us see and experience miracles in our lives. He did not have love, but Jesus showed him love and true love. And then he writes in 1 Corinthians actually what love is. He knew the scriptures. He was religious in nature, but Jesus helped him move beyond knowledge. And there are a lot of people who are knowledgeable, can even quote scriptures, but still have veils over their hearts and over their life. You have religious functionality, but not a relationship that's free in Jesus' name. So I want to ask you this. Do you have friends? Do you have friends who you know or family who don't have a relationship with Jesus? Maybe you're here today and you're like, I actually don't have a relationship with Jesus. Well, there's a veil there. What do we do about it? Secondly, maybe there are people in this room or in your life who have a sin problem or an idea problem or an addiction problem they cannot overcome. I had a friend growing up. His actually, his family was Jewish. And obviously they, they did not believe in Jesus. Um, they believed in God. I, I, occasionally they, uh, they would gather with other Jews. But I met him in sixth grade and I was kind of barely understanding of God. You know, it, it was a little bit more social in high school. I, I really started to understand the gospel. But we played baseball together and I invited my friend to come with me to a church night because they had free pizza. And of course, because they had free pizza, he said, yeah, I'll be there. But from sixth grade all the way until our senior year, he would tell people that I went to a cult. And he would spread that rumor. We were friends, but it still bothered me. Not a great thing for a friend to do. 
But especially, I, I started praying for him. And especially, especially as we got into high school, when, I, when God really started to impact my life, I really started to pray and fast for my friend. And it just was so crazy. It seemed like out of nowhere, literally out of nowhere, our senior year, he, I, I think I was sick or something. And he went to youth group without me, to a youth group. And at that night, he, gets, he basically gives his life to Jesus. I, what seemed like out of nowhere. And I'm just, and I, and I reminisce on that. And then later on, he ends up going to Bible college, which just cracks me up. I was like, God can get to anybody, okay? And if you're here today and you're far from God, you got a veil over your eyes, right? Like God can get to you too. But it was so fascinating to me and I just would reflect on that. And later on, he would just say, hey man, thank you for always praying for me. I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it. And then it felt like in a moment, I once was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And, and it's, it's just so crazy that like Jesus in an instant can remove veils. But at the end of the day, like just like overnight success, it's typically never in an instant. I've been praying for him for years. God had a plan for his life for years. And friends, if you want to see someone meet Jesus, you must be committed to prayer. Verse 12 here, verse 12, Paul writes, right? In the, in the beginning of that, he says, since this new way, the new covenant, experience with Jesus, experience with the Holy Spirit gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. If you wanna see somebody come to Jesus, you must be bold in your prayers. Never stop praying. We have fasting season that is going to come up in the springtime. You don't have to wait but it's a great time to fast and pray for somebody to come to Christ. But secondly, furthermore, you might know somebody who has some blind spots in their lives. You might be that person who's saying, I believe, but I can't build the life that God's called me to. Or you're going, man, I know my, my family, my, my spouse, my, my, my kids or, or, or my friends, my coworkers, like there is addiction issues or, or there is worldview issues or there is struggles in this marriage. There is a veil. There is something blocking them from being free. You must also pray relentlessly for freedom and vision in your life or in theirs. And when Paul says bold, he's just repeating what the scriptures are saying in other places. Hebrews says to approach God confidently and boldly. Ephesians says, Paul writes it, to pray with frankness, which means total honesty and confidence, which means you can walk out into a middle of a field or you can go somewhere where nobody can hear you or you can put your face in your pillow and scream at the top of your lungs, God help. Frankly, honestly, clearly, confidently. Jesus declares our Father and invites us to pray the same way, which means you get to pray to your Father confidently. Father God, I desperately need help. I want to experience freedom in my life from fill in the blank. 
I want these veils off of my spouse's eyes to be removed. God, I want to see my mother come to Christ. God, I am praying over and over and over again. My father, will you reveal yourself to this person at my workplace who doesn't know you? David shouts his prayers in trouble and in triumph. Paul says to pray at all times without ceasing, all types of requests and petitions to never stop. There's an invitation for believers to pray boldly, to pray radically, to pray faith-filled prayers. And I shared this a a while back, and I'll just give a, a, a touch on it briefly. There is a difference between manifesting and declaring. Manifesting is sinful and demonic. Declaring is aligning God's word and the faith inside of you for what you're believing God's called to and declaring it and saying, by faith and in faith in Jesus' name, this mountain can move. You follow me today? All right, I'm I'm closing here. Verse 17, for the Lord is the spirit and wherever Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I love the scripture that says when two or three are gathered in his name, he's there. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, talk to me, there is. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changing into this glorious image. More and more like him. It's a process for some. Sometimes the veil is removed instantly. Sometimes it takes years for clear sight, clear freedom to be known. I even think about Paul's conversion. God meets him on the road to Damascus. He says, Paul, what are you doing? Acts chapter nine, or eight and nine. And basically he's like, this is Jesus. Stop persecuting me. And then he gets scales over his eyes. And for days he's waiting until Ananias comes and prays over him and, and he gets baptized. And then he studies for years. For some, their freedom and their victory to build what God's asked them to build, it's a process. But you never stop praying boldly. You never stop living boldly. But I wanna wanna illuminate when Paul says where freedom is, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom or liberty. What is he not saying? Because I think this is important because what Paul is not doing is he's not giving license to people in church gatherings, Pentecostals, charismatics to be disorderly. Okay, where, where, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. What he's saying is, is we have a freedom of access. Access. Meaning anybody who calls on the name of the Lord has access to boldly go into the throne room of grace and have a touch from God. But friends, we never have liberty to disobey the word of God. We never have liberty to say God is saying something he isn't and take a verse out of context and manipulate and prophesy. We never have liberty to be disorder or chaos in the church gatherings and go against authority for the spirit is subject to the prophet. We never have liberty to go against God's creative design, his laws of nature, especially in sexuality. We never have liberty to go against ours or others' conscience, their conviction on gray areas in Scripture. The liberty and the freedom that we are talking about is a freedom to access God. 
Have you ever met someone totally free in the Lord? There's a fragrance about them. There's a fragrance about them that is so appealing, so inspiring. I've met a few of these people. Maybe they're saints who've been walking with God for a long time and I wanna be like them. Like they got problems, but they're confident. They're tender, yet they're bold. They are imperfect, but they rarely sin. They need miracles and they get them. On and on. And here's what I'm trying to tell you today, friends. This is your sign that you can be free and you can be one of these people. Amen. Like your sign is to be free today because that is for you, for me. Freedom is possible for all of us to walk in. You can live a victorious life and in partnership with Jesus, build the life that God has called you to build. I believe today, even now, that somebody is gonna walk away with veils removed, with new vision and real knowledge and a true tender heart. And I believe that God is gonna begin to heal some things and transform some things and change some things and renew some things. I believe that some of us are gonna walk in freedom in areas of our life. We didn't ever believe we could or didn't know we even had a hang up. So as I close, I wanna give you something very practical. I I actually want you to take notes. I I like to close sermons kind of shouting and with the drums and get you inspired, but I really wanna inspire you with something very practical today. I really wanna encourage you with this. How do we walk in freedom? How do we do it? Here it is. Number one, believe in Jesus as the son of God. You can go nowhere without this. Secondly, acknowledge any wrongdoing or potential wrong thinking. Old saints would call it stinking thinking. Because here's the thing, there's no healing without honesty. And if you don't get honest with God, how can God bring healing to your life? Number three, repent of your sin with intention to walk away. There's a difference between people who abuse the grace of God and ask for forgiveness just so they can have a clean slate and sin again. No, I have an intention to walk away, to turn. Doesn't mean I'll be perfect and won't sin again, but my intention is to repent and go the other way. Four, invite an encounter with the Holy Spirit. It can be momentary, it can be ongoing, but the Spirit will give you insight and highlight in you areas of your life where there are blind spots. And lastly, I wanna encourage you to live a life of ongoing prayer. This is ongoing transformation. Ongoing prayer, ongoing transformation. A life of prayer. Thanks so much for joining us today. I especially want to thank those of you who give generously to help us revive every block. If you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, screenshot it, and post your social stories and tag us at The Block Church. We'd love to hear from you and how you found this encouraging and inspiring. Thanks again, and God bless you.